One of the new buzzwords in medical research is proteomics. Another one of the omics we're hearing about. Is this going to be the therapy for cancer research? You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. Stephen Crone, Associate Professor of Molecular Genetics and Cell Biology and Investigator in the Ludwig Center for Metastasis Research at the University of Chicago. Dr. Crone and I are discussing proteomics, genomics, and everything in between. Steve, welcome to ReachMD. Hey, Bruce. Good to talk to you again. So tell us a little bit about your research background. What did you do as an undergrad and then as an MD and a PhD, and how did you get where you got to today? I grew up in Philadelphia, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I thought I was going to be a doctor, and turned out that I got a medical degree, but really never turned into a real doctor. And so I think what happened was that I got so excited by research as an undergraduate, doing a little biophysics and then some engineering, that I wanted to do a MD-PhD, and I went to Stanford and did that there, and I did more biophysics there, and then I still wanted to do more research, and so I went to MIT and did genetics there, and at the time that I came to the University of Chicago with a job, I sort of had this goal of combining everything together, and to cut to the chase, uh, because of what I'm interested in, which is DNA damage signaling, uh, proteomics is, I think, the answer. So let's define a couple of topics that we're going to discuss. What is proteomics? So proteomics is a catchword for a lot of different things. And what it means, I think, to most people is that what we do is we look at a comprehensive view. We try to look at all of the proteins in a sample, sometimes all the proteins in a cell or a tissue. And we try to count them, measure them, and look at whether they're active or not, whether they are on or off, etc. And what's important about that? Genes are lovely. That is, that they tell you what your fate is. But at any given time, it's the proteins in the cell that define what's going to happen next. So a good example is, because I mentioned DNA damage, that right before DNA damage, a cell is poised but doesn't necessarily have any reason to turn on its uh, stress pathways. As soon as DNA damage occurs, proteins change in structure, they change chemically, some appear, some disappear. All these things happen without any change in the, in the actual genes. The DNA damage is only a minor part of it. The big part of it is the change in the proteins. So if the genes don't change but the proteins do, what's happening? Well, so what's really interesting about proteins is that there's a lot of what's called regulation, which means that proteins act as enzymes or they act to make structures. And the way that they interact with each other, often protein binding to protein, is regulated. That means under some conditions, two proteins may interact or an enzyme may be on or off. Under other conditions, the opposite. This is caused by changes in the abundance of proteins, in their location in cells, in whether they are modified chemically with phosphate groups or other chemical groups, any number of things. All of these things are studied by proteomics people. And so why do you think that proteomics is going to be the field that helps us solve a lot of diseases? The real issue is that all along, physicians have been doing proteomics. My parents, when they were in medical school, I can't even think, must be in the 40s or 50s, 50s, they would run to the lab with urine or plasma or whatever, and do enzyme assays to see whether the liver enzymes were up, etc. And then a whole set of uh, machines to do that automatically were created. Those are essentially proteomics methods. 
that is to tell whether proteins are present or not, whether they're active or not in a biofluid, in a sample. What proteomics in a modern sense means is taking that to the next level. And you can imagine if instead of getting six or 70 or whatever different measures of a patient's physiology, you could have a measure for every single protein that that patient has, the information would be so much deeper. Could you understand it? That's a different problem. So what are we finding out about these proteins that are leading us towards cures for disease? So I think the the part where I can really say that there's a very quick path from proteomics uh, research and discovery to identifying biomarkers uh, would be at the level of protein modification. That is that we can tell whether proteins are there or not, but that's not always the best indicator of things, even though that's pretty powerful. Biomarkers that are much deeper that you really need the modern tools for, and the modern tools are often mass spectrometers and other very powerful, very expensive tools, are modifications of proteins, things like whether the protein has a phosphorylation on it, whether it is cleaved at part of the peptide sequence, whether it has an acetylation or a methylation or all these other changes. And many of those are called marks or are essentially biomarkers for disease states or stress states or other things that we can use. What's really uh, very interesting is you can go very quickly from discovering one of these marks on a particular protein to making an antibody that then allows you to detect that mark in a standard clinical research assay. So if we can detect the disease, then how do we go from there to thinking about how we might treat it? Well, one of the great things is that this this manner of discovery that I just said, where you look at a protein and you see a change to that protein, and then you use that change as a biomarker, means you already know what the protein is. If you can go beyond calling it a biomarker and actually relate it to the mechanism, that is that this change in that protein is not just an epiphenomenon, but is en route from the stress to the response, for example, then maybe you can use frustrating that change in the protein that is preventing it from being modified or masking that modification to stop the signal from traveling. You can imagine that in patients who are having a very strong immune response, like an allergic response, that the changes in the cell's proteins that allow all of the pathways that cause anaphylactic shock, each one of them involves changes in proteins. If we stop those changes, we stop the response. Is there anything going on in the RNA that's not part of either proteomics or genomics and should we be looking at the study of transferomics? Well, yeah, I, you know, I am not a big fan of RNA, but I have a lot of friends who are. And RNA has its own code, I think, which very few people want to talk about. That is that most people are taught that RNA is just the uh, sort of the connection between DNA and protein, but that's really selling RNA short. It turns out that RNAs all by themselves work as key molecules that control other RNAs, proteins, genes, etc. And so, yeah, you know, you hit, hit it right on the head. The new thing right now is not to look at what genes are being expressed, but actually that is which proteins are going to be made, but also to look at these special non-coding RNAs. These are RNAs that no longer make proteins. They simply exist for their own purposes. And those are thought to be incredibly powerful. And many of my colleagues are pushing those ideas as being sort of the next wave. And how would we use them to either determine disease or to treat it? Well, I think one of the things is that probably these small RNAs, and and they have lots of code words like microRNA, that are turned on or off in cells are wonderful biomarkers to tell you whether that cell is or is not 
normal or stressed or diseased or whatever. And so uh, being able to put the sequences of microRNAs into individual tests, which might be laid out on a biochip as a microarray, may allow you to very, very quickly get a signature of cells for what their physiologic state is. And it might be much more practical to do these RNA or microRNA assays than it is to do other types of assays. Now, on the other side, for therapy, I'm not really too sure what you're going to do to change how RNAs work in cells, working from the outside. But uh, there are a lot of people thinking about that. So let's head back to proteomics. What can you find out that's not in the DNA sequences or the RNA measurements? Well, so there's a concept that's called epigenetics. And epigenetics is the idea that it's not just the DNA itself, but also how the DNA is packaged and how the information is allowed to be read off that defines how the genes function. And one of the things that proteomics obviously does is tells you about the proteins that package DNA and whether they are, for example, turned on or turned off, I guess is is the easiest way to say it. So I think you can actually even add to the genomic story simply by doing proteomics. But what I'm more interested in is not what's in the DNA or what the information is. I want to know how the cell is feeling, what is it responding to right now. And I think one of the most exciting things to think about is, for example, if you could use proteomics as a diagnostic tool, for example, to take a patient's blood and, for example, test their leukocytes to see whether the cells are responding to infection or responding to stress or chemical stresses such as poisons or whatever, and very, very quickly answer just from this one type of test what the patient's problems are would be quite striking. So you're talking about not just knowing how many white cells somebody has, but what activity they're actually undergoing by virtue of what proteins are expressed or not expressed in those white cells. I think that's exactly it. In fact, it goes beyond that, which is that even faster than when the proteins are expressed or not are changes in the proteins at the level of these uh, modifications that I was talking about. People call them post-translational modifications because they're after the protein is made. And so those will change within 30 seconds, for example, of a stimulation of a white cell. So I think that proteomics gives you the fastest way to tell whether, uh, for example, a patient has been exposed to a particular stress or not. And you could imagine that sampling blood could then become a much richer source of information if you were getting much more than just a differential count, but you were also getting a signature for what the patient's problems are. And how stable are these methylations or phosphorylations on the proteins? Do they pop on and off? Yeah. In fact, the dynamics are what make them very powerful for information, but also frustrating to measure. Because in the time that, for example, a patient's blood would be passing through a needle and into a vacutainer would be just enough time for the cells, for example, the uh, neutrophils, to recognize that they have been wounded and to start responding. So, yes, it's very important to think about not just whether you can detect them, but how the sample is uh, taken. Will this kind of thing ever replace antibody-based tests? Antibody-based tests, I think, are the end product of proteomics today. And by proteomics, I mean sort of this global comprehensive look that we like to do with mass spectrometers and other tools. But it's not a good long-term answer. If we have to, every time we discover a biomarker, 
turn it into an antibody test and then go through all the FDA testing to get it qualified, it's going to be long delays between discovery and uh, clinical application. I think the real answer is to develop better and better proteomic mass spectrometer machines that can do direct tests on proteins rather than waiting for antibodies. And I'm really excited by how the mixture of mass spectrometry technology and information technology, that is informatics, is going to allow that to happen hopefully within um, five or ten years. So is it true that once we understand what proteins are doing in health and disease, we'll find the therapeutic answer to all our illnesses? I want to thank my guest, Dr. Stephen Crone, Associate Professor of Molecular Genetics and Cell Biology and Investigator in the Ludwig Center for Metastasis Research at the University of Chicago for talking to us about the potential for proteomic breakthroughs in medicine. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.